0: The biggest pro football overlays in Vegas are back with 12 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa Sports with two ways to win and no rake. Circa Million with quarterly payouts and 100% payback. And Circus Survivor. Select one team each week with no point spread. Take in the big money with $12 million in guaranteed prizes. Enter in Vegas, play from anywhere. Visit
1: CircusSports.com for details. Must be 21 or older and in Nevada to legally enter. Circus Sports encourages responsible gaming. All rights reserved. What's up? This is Shaq Barry, outside linebacker of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you're listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast.
0: What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. This is the 32nd episode of season three. Today, we're going to be talking about buying or selling training camp hype, talking about guys like Brandon Ayuk, Travis Etienne, Kyle Phillips, and whether or not we are in or out on what the beat reporters are saying. Joining me today to break this all down is one of the industry greats in this fantasy football world, known as one of the most accurate analysts on the planet. He is also a two-time FSWA award winner and the co-founder at one of the most well-known fantasy football companies in the entire space. With over 165,000 followers, he is established the Runs Adam Levitan. Welcome to the show. Welcome back. Yes. Yeah.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: No, absolutely. And this is my favorite time of year personally when, you know, my teams haven't gone downhill just yet. All the hype is coming out about all the players and just confirming, you know, all the narratives that we've been talking about or choosing not to confirm them if we're not seeing good things. But it's always interesting to break this all down because there are a lot of interesting narratives and there are a lot of interesting things that come out. And I think generally that when we see a constant drumbeat, you know, from certain players throughout camp. I think those are known to be more accurate, but we're seeing a lot of different things. and The person I want to start with is one of the players I'm most excited about this year in Trey Lance. Trey Lance obviously getting a lot of hype right now, but we've heard reports that he's a little bit inconsistent. We've heard the rave reviews. We've heard teammates say that this guy is that dude, his connection with Brandon Ayuk. Where do you stand on Trey Lance? Do you think this is going to be his year? Or are you a little bit more skeptical about what he's going to be like in fantasy?
1: Yeah, I think that in today's fantasy, it is not the same as it used to be where you could pick off a late round quarterback and have a ton of success. And so I, I think that taking uh, one of the quarterbacks that goes in like round four through seven is ideal. If I can do it, I won't force it. But if I miss on that tier of Lamar, Josh Allen, Lamar, um, uh, Kyler Murray, uh, Mahomes, et cetera, uh, I'm pretty fine taking Trey Lance. I, I think that Trey Lance is floor is so high with his rushing ability and just with coaching you know like you see it with Justin Fields I mean the way they set him up to succeed is like a total disaster caution is not going to let that happen and so they also have I mean really good players obviously to throw to and Debo and Ayuk and Kittle and and all those guys so so yeah I, I I am high on Trey Lance I'll be I'll be taking Trey Lance when I miss on that kind of top tier there for sure
0: Agree. Lance and Hurts are the guys that I think are going to be targeting the most in a lot of my drafts. And like you said, with Lance, I think Lance could be like literally what Jalen Hurts was last year, just on steroids. You know, yeah. Jalen Rager and Quez Watkins were top four like target getters in the Eagles offense. And then Trey Lance is a top three of, you know, Ayuk, Debo and Kittle. I don't think it gets much better than that. And like you said, his floor is insanely high and his ceiling is also insanely high. If he happens to be even decent or pretty good as a passer, I think things are pretty interesting. But on that same note, sticking with that same team. What about Brandon Ayuk? You know, Brandon Ayuk, we've seen a lot of different sides of Brandon Ayuk. We've seen good Brandon Ayuk. We've seen doghouse Brandon Ayuk. We saw him kind of really start to come into his own and play a lot better, you know, coming down the stretch of last year. And we've heard that he's dominating camp. He approached offseason the right way, just like every other player in the NFL. But are you buying Brandon Ayuk and his connection with Trey Lance that people keep talking about? Or are you more like Debo's here, Debo's back, Kittle is there? Ayuk is just never going to be enough of a thing when it comes to those two guys in front of him.
1: Yeah, I think at their respective ADPs right now, I'd rather have Brandon Ayuk than Debo Samuel. Um, yeah. And it's not really close. I mean, I mean, Brandon Ayuk is, to me, fits with what Trey Lance does better. In other words, pushing the ball deep down the field. I mean, that's not where Debo's game is. Brandon Ayuk is more that downfield threat. And I think Trey Lance will be more vertical yeah. uh, with Trey Lance under center than they were with Jimmy. I Just for this offense as a whole, though, I think they're going to be so run heavy, you know, and that includes Trey Lance design runs. That includes Trey Lance scrambles. That includes all the Eli Mitchell runs and the TDP runs. And and so, yeah, I think they're going to be really run heavy. That's my biggest concern, but just straight up for sure. I'd rather go Ayuk over Debo at their ADPs.
0: Yeah, I, I would too, but I I don't think I'm necessarily someone that's like Ayuk is super undervalued right now because if Kittle and Kittle and Debo stay healthy, I think it's just a hard path for him to really finish high, especially like you said when they're going to be so run heavy. So if there's an injury, yeah, he's going to be a great value in your in your fantasy drafts. But I think he's fine where he's going. But I'm not necessarily wouldn't go so far to say as you should be getting him in every single draft and he's super undervalued right now. But Another guy that, you know, will be in a sort of run heavy offense and the big question of whether or not he's going to get the work or not is Javante Williams. We've seen the reports that he's going to get, you know, 80% of the work, 70%. We've seen the 50, 50, 55, 45. We've seen a lot of different things. And it seems like right now where Twitter is, is that he's going to get a little bit more than half the work. But, you know, it could be tomorrow that, you know, Melvin Gordon only gets one first team rep and it'll be, you know, draft Javante Williams, the top 10 running back. So, with a second year player that should be getting better and was already a top 20 running back last year and Melvin Gordon's a year older, do you see Javante Williams taking the next step or do you think Melvin Gordon was just so good last year that he's still going to be taking enough of that work that'll take away from Javante's ceiling? Where do you where do you stand on all this?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, a trap a lot of people fall into is overrating week one role. Like In other words, let, where would you draft Javante Williams if you knew that it would be 50-50 in week one and week two and week three, and then it would be 60-40 in October, and then it would be 70-30 in November and December. Like, where would you take Javante Williams then? To me, I would take him in the top 10 then for for sure, because if he ever gets that 70-30 mark over Melvin Gordon, I mean, he's just going to absolutely smash. You know, so everybody is worried about Javante because, oh, in week one, it's going to be 50-50. And you're right, it it might be. I still think Javante is fine in like the mid to late third round, um, I don't think giving up a ton there. And I think in some home league settings, he'll probably go there. I, I mean, it's 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 hard, I think, to look past that week one role. But for me on Javante, I'm trying to lean into the highest upside team that I can. And that's going to take some risk. You know, I don't think that you're going to lose a ton by taking Javante Williams in, in round three. If he ends up 50-50 the whole year with Melvin Gordon, you might lose a little bit but man if he ever you know completely eclipses Melvin um then yeah it's a smash so you know I think the beat writer stuff at this time of year is is should be taken with a big 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 grain I thought a lot of guys are speculating of course Melvin's working with the first team right now of course some guys are going to speculate that Javante is way better you know that's just all all par for the course I think just accepting the range of outcomes and thinking more than just week one I think is is where people need to be on Javante
0: do you think it's within the range of outcomes that like he does something similar to Jonathan Taylor? Not he finishes running back one, and he's the first pick in 2023 fantasy drafts, but like he's going in the mid-second round. People are once again fading him because of the competition. I know Melvin Gordon is different than Marlon Mack and Naeem Hines, yeah. but just where we're overrating the competition, the offense is improving, he's also going to be a lot better in his second. Because Jonathan Taylor was great in his first year, and then what did he do? He got a lot better you know, as a running back and could you see Javante Williams doing the same thing and ending up, you know, in the top five, this committee is a little bit overrated.
1: Of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there's no doubt about it. And I do think that as the season moves along, Javante will separate more and more from Melvin and for people that are playing in a lot of these tournaments, like on underdog or whatever, you know, like it, all the money is at the end, you know? So yeah. like you want your players to be, to be peaking at the end, not, not at the beginning. So yeah, the, the whole week one thing I'm, I'm really not that concerned about on, on Javante. And, yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's very possible he's a first-round pick next year, it, no doubt.
0: Yeah, I agree. Interesting to know as well that nine straight running backs to be the running back one overall were under 25. Javante is one of those few early-round guys that are under 25. Doesn't mean he's going to do it, mm-hmm. but just something interesting to keep in mind. Before we move on to Antonio Gibson, I want to talk about a new company called Fantasy Sports Docs. They're doing something no one's ever done before in the fantasy football industry, which is creating affordable 30 for 30 style documentaries for your fantasy football league playoffs. Prices are less than $20 per team in standard 10 or 10 team leagues, but they have a very easy to use video interview platform that only takes three to five minutes per round for each playoff team. Just imagine for me that it's your year trophies and belts don't tell your championship story but i think his fantasy sports documentary does make sure to check them out at fantasysportsdocs.com today now back to antonio gibson i think it was you that had a tweet about antonio gibson a couple weeks ago about the potential work that he's going to get and an article and you know we heard about the fumbling issues you know today in camp and they drafted brian robinson in the third round and unfortunately for fantasy managers they brought back jd mckissick so where do you stand on Antonio Gibson? Because I think everyone would pretty universally agree that his talent is ridiculous. If J.D. McKissick, you know, Thanos snap, poof, doesn't exist, his potential is huge this year. But those guys are there. They're going to play a role. Do you think that Gibson can break out of what they're going to do? Or do you think that they're going to kind of stick in a committee because they drafted a guy in the third round?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's clear that they don't think Antonio Gibson is like their guy. I mean, they went desperately, tried to get back J.D. McKissick after he signed with Buffalo. Yep. He's third round draft capital on on. Brian Robinson, I mean, they're, they're telling us very clearly what they think of Antonio Gibson. It doesn't really matter what we think. So, you know, it's just, it's just a tough spot because the way we score points with our fantasy running backs is simply through catches and, and touchdowns. I mean, all these carries that Antonio Gibson's going to get first and 10 from the 25. It's like almost irrelevant. Those carries are worth so, so, so little. We need him to be catching passes. getting the ball inside the five yard line. And I, I, I think the price has come down to a point where maybe I can stomach it, but I doubt it, man. Like, You know, sixth round, I'm definitely out on Antonio Gibson, and I've seen him in the seventh and eighth sometimes, and I think I can stomach it more there just in case things break right for him. But yeah, it's just the way it's setting up right now. I don't think I have any Antonio Gibson so far.
0: I think the biggest thing that that tells us what they're going to do is what you said about like J.D. McKissick literally like signed with Buffalo and they still went going and got him. It's not like J.D. McKissick came back because he had nowhere else to go and no one wanted him. He was literally about to go to a new team and they said, no, like we need you back. We will give you whatever it takes. That to me says what they plan to use Antonio Gibson more than anything. Also note that Gibson only had one point nine catches a game. Last year and games where J.D. McKissick played, I mean that's almost like Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry level bad. So again, we would all love to see Gibson do what he did at the end of last year and get all the work, but I just don't think it happens. And you know, them drafting Brian Robinson to be their short yardage back near the goal line definitely does not help the Antonio Gibson hype. Another running back that you know is in a potential committee but has a lot of hype around him is someone like Travis Etienne. He's been the star, quote unquote, of Jaguars camp, but. There's people also saying that on the depth charts now that it's still, they list, you know, James Robinson is the running back one. He's still coming off an Achilles injury. We don't even know what he's going to look like. But Travis Etienne may not even be the starting running back, but it should get all these pass catching opportunities also coming off a major foot injury. So what are the tea leaves telling you right now about Travis Etienne?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing to mention on Etienne is that it's going to be a big disparity between like sharp leagues and home leagues on Etienne. Like nobody I know, uh from casual guys wants to take etn you could probably get him in the 50s or 60s or or 40s but sometimes i see him in some of the sharp stuff going like the late 20s or the early 30s and and you're taking on a lot of risk i think there with etn however the way he plays football and where he wins is like how we want our fantasy running backs to win catch the ball score touchdowns be really explosive and like think austin eckler deandre swift you know alvin kamara Uh, Christian McCaffrey. These are the actual running backs that I want. I, you know, way more scared of the guys like Derrick Henry and, you know, uh, Jonathan Taylor and Joe Mixon and some of these other guys that are are very, very good fantasy plays, but don't have that same archetype, that same role. And so, you know, Travis Etienne is the archetype of a player who can for sure like break a slate uh, in any week because he can go out and catch seven, eight balls and and carry the ball 10 or 12 times. And so I I like Etienne, you know, I think in the 20s is is too rich for him um but man if he goes into like the 40s and i think he might in some home league settings i'll I'll be in on him definitely
0: well i think the other thing that i mean dwayne mcfarland tweeted this out i think last week or the week before and it was again talking about guys that were going earlier in mid to high stakes leagues versus regular espn leagues and Travis Etienne was going 31 spots higher in these high stake leagues than he was in ESPN leagues It's ex- exactly what you were just saying. And I think that more times than not, these people that are, you know, high stakes players or mid to high stakes players are guys that are usually going to be correct. So do you, is that something that you look at, though, when you're looking to draft guys like I know that you guys, I mean, do a great podcast, but do you look at, you know, FFPC data and other high stakes leagues to see where people are going?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. We have all the, we have all the data from all the different sites, uh, for ADP. And I mean, you know, people don't want to hear it. They just want like a take on a player, but it's all a market. And so there's a guy that I might hate at a certain spot and I might love at another spot, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think that's super important for sure definitely no
0: i completely agree but i'm i'm with you on travis atn like i know that there's the whole james robinson coming back thing but this guy's still coming off an achilles injury and like i don't think we've ever seen someone like immediately come off an achilles injury and just be awesome like it's not like he's coming off five months like cam Akers. but again not someone i'd rather bet on i'd rather bet on the pass catching upside of travis atn and what he's going to do but another guy that's You know, a starter that we've heard mixed things about. I feel like we have our answer, but I don't know how much we should truly trust it for his price right now is the whole Miles Sanders, Kenny Gainwell debacle. We first saw that one day where everybody knows now that Kenny Gainwell took some first team snaps and Miles Sanders ran with the second team. And that was disaster striking. And Nick Sirianni came out the next day and said, Miles is our guy. But the other thing that, you know, someone, one of their beat reporters pointed out yesterday is that this is the most run Miles Sanders has still at, had with the second team. He is still the guy, mm-hmm. but he's having the most run on the second team that he's ever had. That doesn't mean automatically that he can't succeed in fantasy football. But do you think that Miles Sanders at his price right now, which is pretty low, is worth drafting? Or do you think that this is just going to be a headache of a committee through the whole season?
1: Oh, it's going to be a committee for sure. I mean, there's no doubt they think Kenny Gainwell can play. And I mean, you know, it makes sense. You give Kenny Gainwell and Boston Scott for team reps because they're going to play with the first team in the regular season. I don't think it's that crazy at all. I would do the same thing. In fact, even if I didn't plan on I would get everybody reps with the first team just in case guys in front get hurt. But anyways, you know, the the issue with Miles Sanders, I think is that they've shown uh, a willingness to use other people around the goal line, i.e. Jordan Howard, Jalen Hurts, Gainwell at times, Boston Scott at times, they've also shown, uh, seems like they prefer Kenny Gainwell in passing situations. So you start to get into these spots. Like I mentioned with Antonio Gibson, where if he's not really going to get the ball inside the 10 that much, and I think he'll get plenty in there and he'll certainly score plenty of touchdowns. I think he'll score, you know, four or five, six rushing touchdowns this year, I think is a fair expectation after zero last year. But if he's not going to do real damage there and also not going to catch passes, it's really hard for him to have a really good fantasy season. So I don't view Miles Sanders as like an upside pick at all. If I started with some type of like zero RB build where I didn't have any running backs and it got to me in the sixth round and Miles Sanders was on the board, I would for sure take him in that setup. But um yeah, if I already have some running backs, I think there's better upside plays around where he goes.
0: Yeah and and we've seen every year since Carson Wentz was still the QB there that like okay is this the year for Miles Sanders he's he's finally going to break out this year it's finally going to be the year he gets more work and their offensive line's great their offense is great but it's been like that you know for a little bit of time now and he still has not produced when they were the most like run heavy team in the entire NFL last year and he still was not you know getting it done I mean he had nine or less carries in half his games last year which is just sad to see. Again, the talent is obviously there, but I agree with you. He's not just an upside pick because he's going, you know, later rounds could take over. Like, no, like there's other guys that they're using in different roles. And if they're going to be role specific, I don't think they're ever going to give Miles Sanders that work that we would like him to see. But one, one last guy for the running back position before we move on to wide receivers for the Chiefs is Isaiah Pacheco. I think I might I could say that wrong, but we've heard that he has shades of Kareem Hunt in him because he's a later round guy that, you know, is producing big in camp. But I think that he's someone that's interesting while he was a seventh round pick for them. But his only competition is CEH, who was like the worst running back out of all, you know, three Chiefs starting running backs at some point last year. But he did have gallbladder surgery. So obviously, like, he's going to come out and be the second coming of Barry Sanders this year. But Jarek McKinnon's there. He's over 30. He's not going to do anything. Ronald Jones has not been getting, like, almost any work with the top two teams. So he might have to beat out, you know, the gallbladder, C- CEH, and that is his path to starting on what should be a still pretty elite offense. So is he someone that you're buying at all, or do you think this is just our usual, you know, late-round running back training camp pipe that we're getting?
1: I, I think that Pacheco can actually play. He's – his measurables – Coming out of college, we really, really good. He looks like a really explosive player. I think to start the year, they'll have Jarek McKinnon uh, in that role. But Pacheco plays on special teams. So, uh, you know, the Ronald Jones stuff, I know a lot of people laughed at the guy who left Ronald Jones off the final roster. I don't think it's that crazy to think that they'll roll with C.E.H., McKinnon, and Pacheco at yeah. running back. But, uh, you know, if Ronald Jones ends up making the team and C.E.H. is there and uh, McKinnon is there. I think it's hard for Pacheco earlier in the season, but he's certainly someone that I'm watching. I mean, you know, very explosive athlete playing with Patrick Mahomes. Like you don't need you don't need to do a lot.
0: Exactly. And it's not like this is like Darwin Thompson a couple of years ago, where his, his ADP was really starting to creep up. Like his ADP is not, you know, started to creep up. I know we are, you know, one training, uh, one preseason game away from a big run of him rocketing up. But I think right now where he's going for free in your draft, he's definitely someone that's worth a, like a late round stash. And if he's somehow on your dynasty waiver wire, definitely someone to go grab but let's move on to wide receivers we will start off with one of the best wide receivers in the NFL and Michael Thomas I mean he really has not played much in two years but he's gotten nothing but from rave reviews even from guys like Nick Underhill that have been really on Michael Thomas and what he's going to do and we've heard so many conflicting reports but everything coming out is positive do you think that we could just walk onto the field and return to old Michael Thomas or do you think that okay it's been two years he's you know, we don't know what we're going to see. How do you feel right now where he's going? Because he's creeping up into like the fifth or sixth rounds of drafts, which could be a steal or it could be we're all crazy for believing that he was going to come out after two years.
1: Yeah, I don't take any Michael Thomas. I, I think that when you miss two years and you're still maybe not 100%, you know, he started the year, started camp out a little bit, banged up um, with the foot still. And, and so, yeah, even if he's close to 100%, there's other problems too. I think the way his he wins is the way Drew Brees won, short, Quick hitting passes. That's not the way Jameis Winston wins. You need real accuracy when you have those really small windows like Michael Thomas creates on those outs and the slants. I'd also say they added a lot of competition. I mean, they added Chris Olave, they added Jarvis Landry. And then you also have the the Jameis Winston, you know, wants to go deep. It's not where Michael Thomas runs his routes. And so I, you know, I get that people are excited about Michael Thomas because he was such an outrageous dominant fantasy player for a few years there. And it was amazing when he was clicking with. With Drew Brees, but I think that, that ship has sailed and and I'll definitely be out at, at, at a fifth or sixth round ADP. Yeah, I just I don't want to be taking that big risk in the fifth or sixth round because that's the same round that
0: I'm I could be drafting Jalen Hurts or someone like that instead. I actually don't hate where he's going. I just think at that point in the draft, I'd rather draft someone like Amon Ross St. Brown or or Jalen Hurts at that point. Like those are the guys that I want in that range. I don't hate his price. I wouldn't say I'm out. There's just a lot of other guys that I'd rather have where he's going. And I think that the range of outcomes where, you know, Michael Thomas, you know, hops off his ferry and magically comes back onto the field and is like a top five wide receiver, I just don't see that as super realistic. I think you made a great point, though, about the competition, because not only Olave, Jarvis Landry, I think Deontay Hardy is also someone that, you know, made some big plays when he was playing last year and I think he's interesting. But I agree with you. And again, if Alvin Kamara's situation is not resolved, he's going to command some targets. I think that. It's just too narrow of a road that we'd have to walk for Thomas to come out on the other side and magically be, you know, exactly what we were hoping for. Another guy that we have a lot of hope for is Elijah Moore. You know, he was the star of the Jets camp so far. You know, it seems like he's got a great connection with every QB, but my worry is that the QB play could hold him back. And I'm not this probably isn't a fair comparison to make, but it reminds me of someone like Terry McLaurin a couple of years ago, where I think the talent is absolutely there in every sense of the word. But and I want to draft him in every single league. But if Zach Wilson like is not that dog that he's shown, you know, over the last couple months, like we don't know if Elijah Moore is going to be, you know, able to really break out unless Zach Wilson and him have a good connection. So where do you stand on Zach Wilson and how that's going to affect Elijah Moore for this coming season?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think Zach Wilson was tough to evaluate last year given the offensive line play, some of the scheme problems but man, he looked so, 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 so So good. And so, yeah, it's hard. I would say that if Zach Wilson even looked a little bit better, Elijah Moore would be going way higher. So I think that it's, it's baked in, you know, they've certainly added a lot of competition. I think they actually have a pretty good offensive team now all around, you know, from, from running backs to wide receivers to tight ends. It's just the quarterback plays the question. So yeah, I, you know, I'm fine taking Elijah Moore. I'm certainly not like running to take him because of the Zach Wilson concerns. But man, Zach Wilson just has to get a little bit better. And maybe with offensive, better offensive line play, which I think they'll have this year, he, he can do so. So I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm out on Elijah Moore, but, you know, um, I think he's interesting for DFS at the beginning because no one is going to give Zach Wilson a shot. So definitely something I have my eye on there. Definitely,
0: that's a that's a great point. I think the the thing that I'm having trouble with is like his price is fine right now. It's not like he's creeping up into like you know like the Allen Robinson, right around wide receiver twenty. He's still right near the like wide receiver thirties right now, which I think is fair. But I just worry about like how unless Zach Wilson's great, like I don't think he has like a top twelve ceiling. Again, the talent is absolutely there. We saw it all day, every day last year when he was playing, but. Know there is more competition, like you said, he is going to get better going into his second year. But Zach Wilson's going to be the big question when it comes to that. Those guys, I'd rather just draft someone that's in a better offense and someone that has a better quarterback overall. Again, I love the talent of Elijah Moore, one of my favorite players in the league. I just don't know whether or not he's going to be able to do it. Someone else that's getting a lot of hype and has the situation to be doing big things is is Romeo Doubs for the Packers. You know, he's a fourth round guy, but he's been making plays all over camp. But the thing I think is the most interesting here is that you know Aaron Rodgers went out of his way to to really praise him the other day. And Alan Ro- Aaron Rodgers is not someone that throws around praise often. I know he did the same thing for Alan Lazard, but for someone like Delves going where he's going right now, it's pretty interesting coming from Aaron Rodgers, and especially when this wide receiver room is so – like we have no idea what's going to happen. I think there's a lot of big potential here. And the last thing that I wanted to mention is that – Going back to those mid to high stakes leagues, he's someone that has really climbed in these mid to high stakes leagues later, which means that there's some pretty smart people that seem to be on him. Where do you stand on this whole Romeo Dubs hype train?
1: Yeah, we actually were really high on Romeo Dubs in the rookie draft process oh, really? coming out. And shout out to Anthony Miko, who does a lot of our dining stuff. He was His take was we should be bearish on Christian Watson and bullish on Romeo Dubs relative to price. Um, you know, Romeo Dubs was very productive in college, obviously at a small... At a small school, um, I don't see any reason why he can't go out there and win for the Packers right away. The Aaron Rodgers stuff, you know, I, I don't know. I, he was probably just, like, asked about Romeo Dubs and he, what's he going to say, you know? But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do think that it's notable that he's been getting a lot of first-team reps. I don't think Sammy Watkins can really give you much at this point in his career. We know what Randall Cobb is, and I'm skeptical that Alan Lazard can really handle anything close to being a number one. And so, you know, and Robert Tanya's coming off an ACL. So, I, I mean... Romeo Dubs, I think, has an actual chance. And I've been taking him for sure when he, when he's there in one of my last picks. There's no doubt.
0: Definitely. And that's the thing is if you're deciding between you know grabbing someone like Alan Azar, just grab Kadarius Toney instead of Alan Azar. They're going around a similar price. And then go draft Dubs like later in your draft right next to Isaiah Pacheco, Pacheco. And those are the guys that you should want. The last guy that I wanted to talk about and touch on that's been getting some first team reps, is Kyle Phillips, you know, for the Titans. I mean, the team lost have 67% of their targets last year are gone. It's mostly A.J. Brown, but he's running as the slot wide receiver one. He's been a guy that like in terms of consistent drumbeat, like since even before minicamp, he was getting hype on what he's looking like. He's continued to take that into training camp. He's now playing with the first team and, you know, a couple highlight plays of him coming out today. So is this Titans offense with their starting slot receiver something that, you know, is worth buying at the end of your drafts? Or do you think we actually could have something here with all the lack of target competition when it's Bobby Trees and, you know, Traylon Burks?
1: Yeah, I, I can't get into this one. I mean, it, it's really hard for a fifth round rookie in a in a run heavy offense when you're, you know, 5'10", 180 or whatever Kyle yeah. Phillips is. I mean, it's it's really hard to have a good fantasy season. And so, I don't know. I, I think that there's plenty of guys that I would take before Kyle Phillips for Shoot. upside. Definitely Dubs, definitely Jerick McKinnon you know, and, and definitely Noah Brown. And like, there's just like so many guys that are available late that I think, uh, you don't need to go that deep for Kyle Phillips. I don't think.
0: Yeah. I think it just depends the, 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 the league size that you're doing. I don't think he's someone you're ever drafting in 10 team leagues. If you said, I want to take him in the last round of your 12 team leagues, like I'm, I'm all for it especially because the lack of target competition there. But like you said, there's other guys that are more like athletic freaks that are going to be doing big things in the field than him. And the like again, the range of outcomes and the path to get there just is not as significant, like you said, especially given his size and his build. But the last question for the podcast today that we ask every single guest is our 2022 flag plant, your boldest prediction that we believe in. The floor
1: is yours. Who are you the most in on for this year? Boldest prediction. I'll go. uh, I'll go out there. I'll also. I'll go uh, way out there. I will say that Juju Smith Schuster will lead the NFL in receptions. So, uh, I think that um, Juju has been written off because he was hurt and because Ben Roethlisberger, like, literally, couldn't play at all he's still really young and it was not that long ago. Juju Smith-Schuster was like everybody's number one dynasty player. Now he goes to Kansas city where I'm not sold on MVS beginning type of load bearing wide out. I do like sky Moore. We, I think we know what we have in Nicole Hartman at this point. And so, you know, everybody assumes Patrick Mahomes is going to have a great year again. Charles Kelsey's 33 years old. You know, how is he going to do it? I, I think a lot of it's going to go through the slot where Patrick Mahomes already has a really high target rate to the slot. And so, you know, I think, Juju catching 100 110 balls like would not be the craziest thing uh in the history of the world and so I'll, I'll go with that one. Juju to lead the the NFL in receptions. What do you say to the people that are saying Juju's washed, Deontay Johnson was, you know, producing with Ben Roethlisberger. there's no way Juju has it. What do you say to those people? Yeah. Yeah, Juju's washed, he's 25 years old. I mean, I I think I I, I think that there's there's Definitely some merit that Juju was outplayed by Deontay and and targets per route run and all that, but man, I mean, you know, I think going to play with Patrick Mahomes is is all bets are off. I think going forward,
0: definitely, I I, I totally like that bold take. The only thing with Juju is I know like in reception perception, none Matt Harmon, not the greatest yep. player getting open, but what is he good at? He's getting good at when he's getting schemed open. And I don't think there's any place that he could go to in the NFL that is perfect for scheming him open and playing exactly to the strengths that he has, even though he's fallen off a cliff at 25, than than Juju. So I, I like that take. I think that's super respectable. Before we get out of here, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, buying and selling some training camp news with you. Before we go, you're doing a lot of great things at Establish the Run. So please tell the people where they can find them, where they can find you, and anything else that you want to plug.
1: Yeah, we just—I uh, would recommend anyone who hasn't checked us out check out the free podcast we do. You can just find it anywhere podcasts are found. Established to Run podcast is free, and you can see what what we're all about there, and then take it from there.
0: Absolutely, but it's a pleasure having you on the show. It's been a pleasure with you, listeners, listening along today, talking fantasy football all year round. This August is the best time to do it, because as always, you guys already know. Please leave a review. You guys already know what to do, and I hope you all have a great rest of your day.